And I realized that in that moment that the whole point of radical candor was to get people to put their telephones away, look each other in the eye and have real conversations. Mm -hmm. And that this app we were building was a value subtracting round trip. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. To join me, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and sign up for my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter, where I share how to reduce risk and create, grow, and protect your wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Kim Scott. Kim, are you ready to join the mission? I am on your mission with you. <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm a big believer in failure. It's how we learn. Yeah, and something tells me that, you know, the candor track and the failure track has a lot in common. <laughs> Yes, I'm candid about my failures. Exactly. And that's been helpful, actually. Yep. So let me introduce you to the audience. Kim Scott is the author of Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity, and Just Work, How to Root Out Bias, Prejudice, and Bullying to Build a Kick-Ass Culture of Inclusivity. And she is a co-founder of the company Radical Candor. Kim was a CEO coach at Dropbox, Qualtrics, Quitter, and other tech companies. She was a member of the faculty at Apple University and before that led AdSense YouTube and DoubleClick teams at Google. Kim, take a minute and tell us about the unique value that you bring to this wonderful world. You know, I decided that I was going to subsidize my writing habit by becoming an executive. <laughs> and mm. I think I'm one of a small number of operating executives who genuinely loves to write. And I think that is why both Radical Candor and Just Work are kind of helpful to people because I brought my love of writing to those books, but also brought decades of experience as an operating executive because so much of the, the real challenge that we experience in the workplace comes from the drama of management. So I tried to take the drama out of management by writing about it in a sort of experience-based way. And for those people that haven't gotten the book Radical Candor as an example, maybe you could tell them what does that mean? You know, let's let's talk about that briefly because this is a, you know, a smash hit book and I think for the listeners, I highly recommend you get it. I'll have links to it in the show notes, but maybe tell them what they're going to get from it. Yeah. So Radical Candor is about caring personally and challenging directly at the same time. So this is a book about management that will really help you offer, solicit better feedback, give better feedback, encourage more feedback, and also build a team that is based in radical candor and get results in a radically candid way. So it'll help you care and challenge at the same time. Very quickly, what radical candor is not is it's not obnoxious aggression. That's what happens when you challenge, but you don't care. Mm. It's not manipulative insincerity. That's what happens when you neither care nor challenge. And it's not ruinous empathy. That's what happens when you care, but you don't challenge. Mm. And, you know, if you write a book about feedback, you're going to get a lot of it. And some of the feedback that I got was that very often 
bias, prejudice, and bullying masquerade as feedback. And that's kind of the topic of my next book, Just Work. Think justice, not mm. just mm. work all the time. Okay. It's interesting because I left the U.S. 30 years ago. So I worked briefly in a few different businesses, and then I came to Thailand. And it's a totally different work environment. Yeah. It's just imagine. totally different. You know, you, for instance, just one unique thing, you know, raising your voice in a meeting in America kind of is sometimes respected or, you know, yeah. makes people Tolerated stand up and say, anyway. yeah. yeah, but you know, you would never raise your voice in any format yeah. with any of your employees because yeah. you would lose respect and, you know, trust and that type of thing. Yeah. So that's one thing that I see that's different. And then one of the things when I was about 24 years old, I went to a, a seminar back when we used to have live seminars. And I went to seminars with a guy named Dr. W. Edwards Deming. And he mm -hmm. talked about, you know, reducing competition within a company mm -hmm. and how to get the optimum out of humans that, you know, you don't set them against each other. You yeah. get them to cooperate and work together and all that. And when I left America with that thinking in mind, and then I came to Thailand and saw a cooperative work environment, sometimes I look back at America, I think, what are they doing? Yeah, yeah. Why, yeah, why are they exactly. fighting with everybody? You know, and all, I mean, it's just so combative. And it's like the competitors outside, but they set up yeah. competition inside, inside companies so aggressively. Yeah. What? Why? Yeah, you know, I think that sometimes in the U.S. we sort of default to this command and control kind of approach to management. Mm. And the truth is that people do their best work when they collaborate. You know, when we collaborate as human beings, there is nothing we cannot achieve. And when we try to start coercing each other, there's no depths to which we cannot fall to. So, <laughs> so one of my missions is to create more collaboration and less coercion in the workplace. And I um, think but that you know, it's, yeah, it's interesting cross-culturally, because I think radical candor is, it's kind of about love and truth at the same time. And those are pretty u universal human values. Mm. But the way that we express love and truth is going to differ culture to culture. So, you know, I, I never worked where you're working, but I worked, you know, I had teams in a dozen different countries. And radical candor sounds really different in Tokyo than it does in Tel Aviv. It's radical candor in both places, but... With my team in Japan, I called it polite persistence because polite was how they like to think about showing they cared personally and persistence was an easier way for that team to think about how to challenge directly. But if I had gone to Tel Aviv and said, you know, call it polite persistence, that they would have thought I was telling them to be manipulatively insincere, right? <laughs> so you've got to adjust for the individual and also for the culture where you're working. Yeah, that's uh, great points. And I think, you know, for the listeners and the viewers out there, you know, get the book, learn what you can. This is great, you know, feedback. And I just would highlight one last thing in my own past is that I, I ended up stumbling into drug rehab at a young age. I was 16, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And I went through three different drug rehabs until it stuck until today, you know, and I haven't yeah. used alcohol well, or anything like that. Congratulations. Thank that's you. That's hard. Yeah. I also and, quit drinking a few uh, years ago. It's it's no it's, joke. It's a challenge. And for anybody listening, I always say, you know, if you ever know anybody having problems with alcohol or drugs, you know, reach out. There's 12-step programs, Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. These types of things are out mm -hmm. there. They're right next door to you. You don't, yeah. you're going to be surprised when you, when you reach out, but there's so much out there. But I remember I went through 
I added it up at the end of therapy that at the end of the three different treatment centers I went to, I went through 2000 hours of individual group and family therapy. Wow. And feedback is such a critical component of it because we go into the therapy kind of blind, you know, we're crashing into a wall, but we don't know why and all that. And I just came to really value feedback and it's, it's Mm -hmm. hard, you know, it's hard to take. And yes, but I think that, you know, what I, my, my message is, is that for the listeners out there is really get the book, understand how to give, receive feedback in a trusting, caring way. And it does change everything. Yeah, absolutely. Everything. It really, it's, it's, it's transformative. Yep. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And okay. since no, no one goes into their worst investment <laughs> thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I had just finished writing Radical Candor, but it was going to be published a few months later. So the publishing industry is not the speediest. And so I had some downtime. And I had lunch with a friend of mine who's an investor in Silicon Valley, and I was telling him about the book. And meanwhile, the book, I had given a talk about the book, and the talk had gone kind of business viral, not like pop culture viral, but, you know, it had had a couple million views. And my friend said, oh, you got to build an app. You got to build an app to help people change their habit and be radically candid. And I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley. So of course, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then he's like, I'll give you $2 million and we're going to start this company. And, you know, who's going to say no to that? Well, I should have said no to that. (laughs) (laughs) But I did not. I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, we're going to. And we built one app and it didn't work. And we built a second app and it didn't work. And we built a third version of the app and it didn't work. And then I was watching my daughter and son perform at musical theater and they were singing, believe it or not, it's just me. And, you know, they're like five years old, they're twins up on stage. And I was filming it on my phone and watching it on my phone. And then I looked up from my phone and looked at the actual children and not at the little image of them. And the emotional impact was totally different. And, you know, and my eyes filled with tears And I realized that in that moment that the whole point of radical candor was to get people to put their telephones away, look each other in the eye and have real conversations. Mm -hmm. And that this app we were building was a value subtracting round trip. And, you know, we had only spent about half the money at that point. And you would think that your investors would be happy. You go to them and you say, you know what? This whole idea was a bad idea. We shouldn't have done it. I'm going to save you $1 million. Yeah, but I'm going to give you half your money back. No, they were furious. It was like one of the most stressful, painful things. I had. Not all of them were furious. Mm. Some of them were lovely. Some of them were less lovely. (laughs) I'll be radically candid. and. It was one of the more painful things I ever had to go through. And and I may, when I tell the story, I'm like, oh, it was so obvious, you know, but there was actually a lag time between that moment watching my kids and kind of knowing in my gut that this app was, the whole thing was a bad idea. Mm. There was a couple of months between that moment when I knew it in my gut and it getting to my head. Right. And those were some of the most difficult months of my life because I was unable to sleep. I didn't know why I had insomnia. I was unable to eat. I lost way too much weight all of a sudden. And I didn't 
I didn't really know what was going on until I got some radical candor from a board member. I walked into her house. We had a meeting every couple of weeks and I walked into her house and she took one look at me and she said, you're not okay. Mm-hmm. You're not okay. And she said, you need to take a couple of weeks and stop working. Whatever is on your plate, whatever you're supposed to do, cancel it. There's nothing that you have planned in the next two weeks that's more important than your health and you're destroying your health. And she was also an investor, you know, it was not easy for her. And it was kind of in her self-interest to say, mm. keep going, you know, because I don't want to lose my money. But she was willing to put me before her investment and I'll forever be grateful to her. Mm. So how would you summarize the lessons that you learned? So I would say one, just because somebody's offering you a bunch of money doesn't mean you should take it. <laughs> stop and think. And that seems kind of ridiculous, but it's very often how how these things go. The second thing I would say is that if you're running a business, don't get pushed to grow too fast. Because the fact of the matter was at that company, we had figured out one thing that worked. It wasn't the app, but we were doing talks and workshops And those worked really well. And in fact, we were getting income from those. In fact, we were at a cash flow break-even point, you Mm. would think. And and yet the this is kind of maybe a Silicon Valley venture capital kind of problem. But those investors had no interest in that kind of business that was gonna that was gonna be, you know, a good business that wasn't gonna go bankrupt. But they wanted, you know, they it had to be a billion dollars or nothing. And I was sort of buying into that mentality. And so don't, don't think, you know, there's a lot of interesting businesses that are never going to be billion dollar businesses. That doesn't mean they're worth, they're not worth pursuing. And then I think the last thing that I learned is something that I've had to learn over and over again. Like the thing that I really love doing and the thing that, where I really add value in the world is writing. Mm. And that's what I want to do. It's not what I get paid the most to do, but at this point I've earned enough money that I can afford to be a writer. And so I need to be a writer. Mm. Mm. Well, let me summarize a few of my takeaways. I mean, first thing, let's just review. So first of all, you've got a friend comes along, an investor saying, build an app. And there yeah. you are in Silicon Valley. It seems like the simplest thing. Yeah. And I'll I'll come to that in a second. And then you get the two million, you start on it, and then you know, you come to this awareness. And you know, we have our awareness moments in different places. Yeah. You had yours flipping between your phone and the real image of your daughters or daughters up daughter there. Daughter and son. One daughter and son. Got it. And and then you talked about, you know, just because someone's offering something doesn't mean that you take it talk about some lessons lessons about you know don't grow for growth sake yeah and then the other thing you talked about is you know you kind of you said you had to relearn this lesson which isn't that painful like when we had to relearn yeah. the le- I mean yeah, I was supposed to have learned these yeah. things yeah so but relearning the lesson of wait a minute I love writing and I'm good at it and you know and I have proof That's of what that I should do yeah. yeah so yeah so as I think about it I I was thinking about my mother often says to me in the past, she would say, just because it's cheap doesn't mean you have to buy it. Yeah. Yes. 
Just because it's a lot of money doesn't mean you have to take it either. Correct. You know, just because something's on offer doesn't mean it's the right thing. Yes. So I think that's a big takeaway for me. And I think for the listeners, I want you to think about that. And the second thing I want to highlight is many years ago, I read The Road Less Travel by Scott Peck. And Mm -hmm. great book, you know, one of those life changing books for me. And he talked about, you know, what is love and love ultimately talked about the idea of, you know, putting the interest of another person ahead of your own interests. Yeah. And that type of thing. And when you described about, you know, the investor who sat you down and said, you got to stop right now. Yeah. You know, that is a demonstration of, according to Scott Peck's type of definition, and I would say I'm I'm on board with that. That was a definition of an act of love. And so- Those are some of the things that I took away. Is there anything else you would add? I think an act of love and an act of challenge. Like very often, I think we think that love and truth are two different things. And I would argue you can't have love without truth. And that was what that that investor and board member was willing to offer me is, is truth with love, love with truth. And that is really valuable. I think there's another thing that I've I've really, and I don't know exactly what to do about this, but very often we realize things in our gut before we realize them in our head. There's, mm-hmm. I think Freud calls it knowing without knowing. And that was the most stressful period. Like my body was trying to tell me, wake up, Kim. <laughs> literally mm-hmm. wake up, Kim. And so how can we learn to be more aware and to honor our gut a little bit more Because that period between the time when I kind of realized, but I didn't know it, when I knew, but I didn't know, that was the worst period of time. So anything you can do to shorten that period of time. In other words, I think in terms of investing, it's not throwing good money after bad. And yet it's that emotional sense. I had a mentor who said, your most expensive, went about literal investing, he said, your most expensive mistake is often that that notion that you see something is down 10% and you just hold on hoping it'll go back up and mm. what it's doing is going to zero. And if, <laughs> if, if you could take the loss faster, you would take less of a loss. And what you're describing is something I've learned through interviewing more than 600 people is the idea of intuition. And, you know, the intuition is not intellect and intuition is not emotion. Intuition is a fleeting physical reaction that you have for Mm -hmm. a fleeting moment. And I think if, if there's one lesson I've learned is that that intuition tends to be right. Yeah. And, yeah. and or sometimes therefore, it's wrong. Sometimes it's biased, but don't just dismiss it. You know, right. pay attention and say, was that intuition biased or was that something wise? Yeah. And so learning to a, know the be difference. Be aware of it. Yeah. Sure. Be aware of be aware of it. Don't just reject it. One last point I, I just wanted to make, you know, everybody talks about apps in this world. You know, I mean it's a high yeah. tech world and you know, amazing. Yeah. I think it's a disaster world when it comes to apps. And tech, it's tech is so bad, so bad. Every single company that I've worked with and seen and talked with, they can't get developers doing the right thing. And I'm starting to realize it's just like Facebook has billions of dollars to spend on thousands of developers. And one of them comes up with, you know, the right thing. And then they get five of them together and then they coalesce around something while another 
I just, I've lost hope that the typical company can just go and create an app without a brutal experience. Am, am I wrong? Is it different in the U.S.? I don't think, I don't think tech is bad. I mean, I, if I did, I'd probably have to move. But I do think tech can be terrible. You know, I think if you let your tech manage you, then it is mm -hmm. bad. And the other thing about a lot of the technology that has, especially that has been developed recently, is that it's addictive. It's another form of addiction. And that addiction is bad. Addiction is always bad. Mm. And so I think the more that, that we can all learn how to make sure that we're managing our technology and not letting it manage us, the better. And I would say there, Facebook might just be bad. Uh, <laughs> I'll grant you that. But I wouldn't yeah. say that tech overall is bad. I think, you know, Twitter was, Twitter did some good things. Twitter led by its current CEO is bad. But it could be good again, you know. I, th I think it's really, it can be very useful to connect, and it can be destructive and addictive to connect with mm. too many people. And and we have to learn how to manage it, how to balance. So, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action? Let's go back in time and imagine you're sitting down talking to that man that said, "I'm going to give you two million bucks to build an app." What would you recommend our listeners, what actions would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah, slow down a little bit and make sure if it, you know, if it's too good to be true, it probably is. If it's too easy, there's probably something you're missing. And so trust that initial gut. I had an instinct like, well, what's going on here? Like, yep. it took me four years to write the book, and I'm getting offered a lot more money to build this app, and I'm not even sure that's it. I haven't done anything yet, and I'm not sure it's a good idea. So if it's too good to be true, keep asking questions before you jump. Great. And what's a resource of yours that you'd recommend for the, for the listeners? So if you want to learn more about Radical Candor, which really does, the app did not work, but the idea works. Hell yeah. Go to RadicalCandor.com. And we have built out a lot of workshops, in-person workshops, but we also made a sitcom about Radical Candor, if you uh, if you don't want a workshop. And we built some some other programs out. So, Or just read the book. So yep. go to RadicalCandor.com to learn more about that. If you're curious to know about the different ways that bias, prejudice, and bullying masquerade as feedback, go to justworktogether.com and figure out how to root out those problems. Fantastic. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes, ladies and gentlemen. Last question. What is your number one goal for the next 12 months? I am working on a new novel. So I just want to spend 80% of my time writing that new novel, but I don't want to set a goal to finish it because I don't want to rush it. Exciting. So truly a writer. Well, yes. listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. If you have not yet joined that mission, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now and join my free weekly Become a Better Investor newsletter to reduce risk in your life. As we conclude, Kim, I want to thank you again for joining our mission. And on behalf of Ace Dots Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? 
Go forth and solicit feedback. That'll keep you out of more trouble than anything else. Fantastic advice. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more person to our mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.